5: Terms and conditions apply. This is the Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VCN, the Sports Betting Network.
1: It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be a better. Welcome inside the VCN studios here at the South Point Hotel and Casino. This is the Edge. JVT and Humans out today you your stuck with Femi Abebefe. Adam Burke coming to you here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Make sure to tweet out the show. We're hanging out with you guys over the next hour at VEASAN live on Twitter at Skating Tripods where you can find Adam at Femi Abebefe is where you can find me. Adam, how we doing here? Now that the uh, the big sports weekend has come and gone as we sit here on this Monday, June
3: 20th. Yeah, I'm good, man. It's good to be back on the air with you. Usually we end up doing weekends, but today yes. we're jumping in here on the edge and a lot
1: to get to in a short amount of time. So let's yeah. dive right in. Yeah, let's dive right in. We'll have Dennis Bernstein of Sir- Serious XM NHL coming up in 30 minutes. Can the lightning get back into the series? We'll ask Dennis. We'll also get the MLB card. Adam's take on that and whatever else our heart desires. But first here, Adam, we got to start at a sore spot for me here. The 122nd United States Open yesterday wrapped up with the final round over at the Country Club at Brookline, Mass. Matt Fitzpatrick, the winner, winning his first major, his first event on North American soil for one Fitzpatrick. He was 28-1 to pre-tournament odds there, shooting six under for the championship, besting out Scotty Scheffler and one Will Zalatoris, who tied for second. Hideki Matsuyama was fourth. Colin Morikawa, Rory McIlroy rounding out the top five here. But I'm not sure how much of the coverage you caught of yesterday's action there, the final round. I know you were doing the run line, so you are busy. But... Gosh, it was, it was a fun tournament from just a viewing standpoint, from a betting standpoint for me. Wasn't as fun, but uh hell of a run there for Fitzpatrick, especially there on 18.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of things that you were reading throughout the tournament about how Fitzpatrick has really changed his game, really become a guy mm-hmm. that seems to fit major events pretty well. And, of course, he finally, you know, gets this one done here, of course, that I don't know if you had heard, but he'd won here before. <laughs> Good God. I feel like they, they maybe mentioned that a and time Every or other stroke. <laughs> That's- oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. But, look, I mean, Could you ask for a better top five for a major? Fitzpatrick, Scheffler, Zalatoris, Hideki Matsuyama firing a Sunday 65 to get into the top five, Mm -hmm. make himself some cash there. And then Morikawa and McIlroy tied for fifth. Uh, That's pretty much all you could ask for. And I don't know, maybe that's an indicator of some of the form that we're going to have heading into the Open Championship next month.
1: Yeah, I've already made a bet in the Open Championship. I'll reveal that later on in this segment here. But the reason why I said it's a little bit of a sore subject for me because I am a part of the Will Zalatoris Syndicate that is uh, wildly known across the sports betting space. I'm in it. Scott Seidenberg's in it. I know a lot of folks on the sports betting space in it as well because Zalatoris is so close. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it now with a number of tournaments, a number of majors. He now has a second finish, a top two finish here at the Masters, at the PGA Championship, and now at the U.S. Open after yesterday Zalator is so close to forcing a playoff in last night's coverage there of the final round. There, It was about inches away, and he said it after his round that he's about a few inches away from being a three-time major winner, and that's really the case. This guy plays really well, but for some reason he hasn't been able to break through or it's one thing or another. I know the driver went kind of haywire there in the back nine, but he was able to battle back to get within a stroke there, just wasn't able to sink a 12-foot birdie putt to force that playoff. But from a betting standpoint... When I handicap Zalatouris now, it's to the point to where I'm no longer looking at strokes gained approach. I'm no longer looking at how he's an elite ball striker and all the things that really make him attractive. To me, I'm at the point to where I'm just so damn pot committed that I'm not going to miss out on when he eventually wins. So I'm just going (laughs) to keep betting Will Zalatoris and I'm going to cash the ticket because he's taken enough money from me to begin with. Where I deserve to get some back here after what he's been doing on the course here. But an outstanding performance, but just once again, it did not come home. Well, and that's the thing, you know, you talk about these courses, you
3: talk about the difficulty of these courses where majors are played, and obviously the USGA always makes it very mm-hmm. gnarly for the US Open, that's something that they take a lot of pride in, the thing that it usually is for Zalatoris is the putter, Yep. and that was not the problem this weekend, I mean, you look at data golf, 1.8 strokes gain with the putter, that was actually better than everybody but Rory McIlroy, in terms of guys that finished in the top 10, but... That's the thing about these golf tournaments, man. You know, you've got the world-class guys almost always show up for this thing. The Mm -hmm. course is really, really challenging, and if there's just one element of your game that isn't quite there, then we see what happens with Zalatoris, where he's just such a strong player generally all the way around, except for usually with the putter, as we've mentioned already. But that wasn't the issue here, and he still couldn't get it done. So, at some point, everything's going to align for this guy, and, and yeah. who
1: knows? Maybe it's overseas next year, or maybe it's, you know, maybe he does the Masters, you know, next mm-hmm. April. Yeah, no, he he's finished the Masters so it, as a debutant at the Masters, and everyone he always says that the first time at the Masters is usually the time to figure things out. There, he finished second place to Hideki Matsuyama at the Masters uh, a, a year ago. So, Zalatoris, I mean, that's a guy that he just he f- checks every single box, and it just hasn't won it yet. I got him at thirty to one. Um, I bet him to win the open championship newsflash. Um, I, I went ahead and did that just yesterday afternoon after the round. I was like, you know what? I'm emotional about this, I gotta do this, and I gotta bet Will Zalator. So I found a 33 to one over at BetMGM, now down to 22 to one. I don't think I had anything to do with that. I think it was just maybe a rogue number out there that they just caught slipping on and I found it, and luckily I was able to get that in the pocket there. He's probably gonna go off around 25 to one or 20 to one around that range because now he's stacking up consistent performances at these majors to where people can reliably bet on him to be in the mix. Now maybe the smart move is to bet him top 10 and not to bet him outright, but a a lot of folks He's going to be in the mix. So at these big prices of 30 to one or better, I think it has to be an auto play.
3: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you, it's not necessarily doubling down. It's not the same thing, but do you go top five, top 10, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, you know, some of those markets are kind of limited out here, which I know is very frustrating to a lot of golf betters where you, yeah. you know, can't really find the top twenties and all that. Fortunately, Arizona's not that far of a drive away, but <laughs> that is kind of the question is, you know, to win it. I mean, one guy wins a golf tournament out of all the guys that are in the field, right? So mm-hmm. it's obviously pretty hard to narrow that, nail that down. But he plays well here. You know, it's kind of the like how Brooks Kepka was for so long, where he just played extremely well in majors. Yeah, you talk about a guy like Louis Oosthuizen. You, know, you don't hear too much about him throughout the year, and then all of a sudden he shows up. And he's on the first page of the leaderboard for two or three majors every year. Mm-hmm. You know, so is that something that you'll do? Will you take an outright on a guy, but then also look for some of those, you know, th- those prop derivative markets of top five, top ten, something like that?
1: The only guys that I do that on are guys who are proven major winners. So I did that with Rom. Unfortunately, that didn't work out for me after he played terribly uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. They just did not have it. Wasn't his best day. But I had Rom at sixteen to one outright. I also had him at a top ten. I had him in a match of Rory McElroy and that all just came crumbling down. <laughs> so you yes, had a fun it. Sunday. It was a, now uh, granted I had Sunday Ma- not fun day. I had Matt Fitzpatrick with a top 20 because I figured all, all the hype of Fitzpatrick will win the U.S. Amateur here. I was like okay I don't know if he's going to win and, be, and his price had already been kind of beaten down early in the week so to where I was like I don't want to really get him at 25 to 1 to win the U.S. Open so I played him on a top 20 at plus money price there so I got a little bit off Fitzpatrick winning this thing there. I was hoping he wouldn't win the whole thing. I hope he just played well there but uh, clearly he 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 likes Brookline a lot, but to me, I think it's a guy like a Rom or if I like a Rory or someone like that to where I know they are capable of winning, but I also know that they're likely to just play well. Azal Torres, as much as I love him and he's quickly become one of my favorite golfers on the tour, he hasn't shown that he can close the deal just yet, which I mean, some people might hear that and say well then why the hell would you play him outright because I want that plus money that big price there when he eventually wins I don't know if I want to back him and double down for him to play well and also win I'd rather just play the price because I think he's going to be in contention if, and a guy who's going to be in contention a couple shots back or a shot back there I want to get him at that 30 to 1 33 to 1 I don't want to be sitting there with just plus you know 210 or whatever for him to be top 5 or to be top 10 or whatever the price ends up being there so um, to me I I think that's just a a personal preference to where I'll just play him on the outright and then hopefully he wins. And then once he's proven that he can win at these events, then I'll play him in some top 20s and some top 10s. Or maybe he's just going to be the next Xander Shoffley or Louis Ustazen that Mm -hmm. just consistently goes top 20 at these events, but never actually closes the deal. The interesting thing to me, though, and Wes Reynolds has talked about this throughout the entire week last week about guys who haven't won yet building up that major scar tissue of having to get the taste first and then win. Now, I texted Wes yesterday after the round. I said, Zalatoris might have enough scar tissue to last a lifetime (laughs) the way that he's been playing at these events here. But you saw him battle back after getting down with the two bogeys uh, in the first four holes there. And then he gets to the point to where he's two up at six under, falls apart a little bit with the driver. And I thought he had a chance on 18. He drove an excellent drive into the fairway. Fitzpatrick goes into the fairway bunker and the broadcast was like, oh boy, like this is not what Fitzpatrick wanted. I was like, man, if we can get a Zalatoris bo- birdie and a Fitzpatrick bogey, maybe we'll Zalatoris wins this tournament here. Uh, unfortunately, he just could not make that 12 foot putt and Fitzpatrick, credit to him, who we haven't talked about enough because he actually won the event, Hit an unbelievable shot out of the bunker there to set him up to where he all he needed to do was two putt to put all the pressure back on Zalatoris there, but that was a fantastic shot out of the bunker for Fitzpatrick to where he cashed that 28 to one ticket, winning the U.S. Open.
3: Yeah, and and you know the the mental side of golf is something that's just you know it's it, you can't really quantify it except for mm-hmm. guys that get the job done. And, and as you said, you know the kind of that whole scar tissue thing of for Zalatoris, you know, is, is it better for him to be chasing on Sunday as opposed to being the guy who's up at the top yeah. where you start thinking about you know oh I've been in this position so many times and I haven't finished it off yet. You know maybe it's better to kind of be chasing to be in that spot where you want to come from two shots back something like that be the guy putting the pressure on as opposed to the guy with the target on your back and you know for Zalatoris he'll get one at some point he's way mm. too talented of a player to do that uh, obviously we've said that about guys before but I, I think that Zalatoris is definitely going to be one uh we're running out of time on this block though but I do want to ask you real quick if you've looked at the Travelers Championship at all where you've got over at DraftKings right now Rory 9-1 to Scheffler 9-1 to Thomas 10-1 to Cantlay 14 Pretty strong field for the week after yeah. a major here. Anybody you think's got some carryover momentum that's kind of in your mind right now?
1: Ooh, the Travelers. I haven't really dug deep into the Travelers just yet there. Maybe somebody like I don't know people like Xander quite a bit heading into the U.S. Open, so maybe somebody like that at 20-1, to one, but even 20-1, to one, I don't want to bet on Xander at 20-1. to one. I'd rather get 25 or better there. Um, I mean, good gosh. I mean, looking at Tony Finau at 40-1, to one, there was a lot of it's momentum a big number for of Tony Finau, Finau. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of momentum on Finau heading into the U.S. Open. He misses the cut. I had a top 10 on Finau. Um, unfortunately, that did not get home for me. That was done on Friday, but somebody like that, I think, mm-hmm. an excellent ball striker there. had been playing really well Didn't up until the U.S. Open. did play 36
3: holes over the weekend, exactly. kind of lower stress, yeah. yeah. I, maybe, I think that's not a bad angle
1: maybe that's how we do this thing Was we go with the out there but congratulations to Matt Fitzpatrick and all the people who bet on Fitzpatrick 28 to 1 were his pre tournament odds I know there were some 40 to 1s that were out there Aaron Oster the producer of the Nightcap he got a 40 to 1 on Fitzpatrick over at the Golden Nuggets so shout out to him and shout out to everybody who cashed that ticket yesterday at the US Open on the other side we go to the ice talking game 3 Stanley Cup final between the Lightning and the Avalanche
2: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
4: This is The Edge on vSEN, the
5: sports betting network.
1: The VEASAN Summer Special is here for only $19. You get everything VEASAN has to offer from now to the end of July. Sign up today and you'll get VEASAN's daily best bets, including Adam Burke's daily MLB best bets, baby, NFL preseason coverage, premium articles on golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. If you want the full VEASAN experience, which features a daily best bets email, every edition of Point Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost is only $19. to be a subscriber through July 31st. So sign up now at slash summer. Welcome back. This is The Edge coming to you from the VEASAN studios here at the South Point Hotel and Casino. Femi Abebefe, Adam Burke, we're filling in for JVT and Matt Humans. Uh, last segment was mainly like kind of like a therapy for me there after Zalatoris <laughs> didn't come home at the U.S. Open. But let's turn our attention to the ice. Stanley Cup final, game three tonight. Could be a therapy session for Tampa Bay Lightning betters and fans here at the Lightning right now. Down 0-2, heading back home to the Amelia Arena, trying to get back into the series. The Avalanche right now. Are the underdog over there at DraftKings minus 105? The ABS minus 115. The Lightning's here, and the total sitting at six, juice to the under a minus 120. Adam, do you think the Bolts can get back into this thing?
3: Based on what we've seen in the first two games, I would say no. I mean, you know, Colorado kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit in Game One. They got up to that three-one lead and then let Tampa Bay back in the game. But it, when you look at this series, I mean, it's been so lopsided five-on-five. Colorado's outshot Tampa Bay 52-24 to at 5-on-5 so far in this series. They have 48 scoring chances to 25 for the Lightning. 20 of those are high-danger chances for Colorado through two games. We just don't see Tampa Bay play that badly defensively. Mm -hmm. And John Cooper was right to say it after game two. Like, look, I know Andre Vasilevsky, the numbers don't look good, but we hung him out to dry. We didn't play well in front of him, and they didn't. And the question is, how can they actually change that? Because they have had no answer for Colorado's speed through the first two games in this series. And I really thought the adjustment from game 1 to game 2 for Tampa Bay would be faster zone exits, being able to counteract Colorado's forecheck a little bit better. They've not they did not do that at all whatsoever. I mean, they mm. got blown out from start to finish in that game. So I don't really know what they can actually do to adjust. Now, I will say being on home ice gives them the last line change. So maybe that's the X factor in this game tonight. But ultimately, for me, I just don't see them slowing Colorado down just based on the way these two games have gone. And the fact that it hasn't been bad goaltending, it hasn't been Mm -hmm. fluky in any way, shape, or form, it's simply been Colorado is the faster, better, more dangerous team. And I don't know how Tampa Bay
1: bounces back from that. And and the... Betting market right now for the series price is indicating what you're saying there. Right now, Colorado, minus 600 to win the Stanley Cup final. The Lightning, plus 450 over at DraftKings here. Um, And to me, I'm really surprised at how this has played out here because I thought Tampa Bay would have been able to kind of impose their will on Colorado. Now, the avalanche, I think maybe we all took for granted how deep they are and how fast they are because they just come in waves. I mean, I, I'm not a big hockey better or hockey fan or whatever, but just from watching it and I can see on the ice, I'm like, man, like these guys are just, it almost feels like they have a man advantage every single time. Like it's a permanent power play that they're going on because the Avalanche are just under siege with how much he's got, like McKinnon and McCarr. Like these guys are just, they're so good and so fast to where, Maybe Tampa Bay—they just have been overwhelmed in this spot—and I and I we kicked that around after Game One of like, hey, are the Lightning just overwhelmed in this matchup? And folks said, well, no. You know, Cooper, like you mentioned, can make adjustments, and they have a championship pedigree, two-time defending Cup champions. But I mean, after going to overtime in Game One to lose seven nothing in Game Two in a game that wasn't a must-win, but it was a hey, if we want to have a legitimate chance of winning this series, we should probably go back home even up at one-one. Now that we're going back into game three here, all the pressure is squarely on this Tampa Bay Lightning team, and they're probably used to that, being cup champions, two-time defending champs. But this might be a situation to where they just don't match up. And we talked about it yesterday of like, even though you might want something and you might be motivated and backs against the wall, whatever narratives you might want to pull out there, if the matchup is just not in your favor, there's not much you can do. Right. And
3: I think that that may ultimately be the case here in this series. And I did like Tampa Bay pre-flop and I thought Tampa Bay was live in game one. Frankly, I thought Tampa Bay was live in game two, just because I expected them to make those adjustments. But the reality of it is it's very hard to adjust to speed because you can try to clog up the neutral zone. And that's what Tampa Bay will probably try to do to a degree tonight. But the problem is, if you can't get the puck out of your own zone, you can't very well clog up the neutral zone. That's been the issue here for the Lightning and what Colorado has done really, really effectively. And, you know, I I keep going back to this. It was at the AHL level, but I got to watch Jared Bednar win a championship, win the Calder Cup when he was coaching in Cleveland with the uh, AHL affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, it was one of those things where, actually, excuse me, with the Columbus Blue Jackets affiliate, but it was one of those things where, He just knew all the right little levers to push with a team. He Mm. knew exactly which defenseman you could pressure on the forecheck, which ones you want to hit, which ones you just want to tie up and take the puck from. It was a very detail-oriented game plan. That's what we're seeing here in this series from Colorado, where really the only guy for Tampa Bay that's carrying the puck up the ice, or has the capability to, is Victor Hedman. Mikhail Sergeyev has not played well in the first two games of this series, and Colorado has really exploited that. And the hardest thing to do is to try and counteract speed. And even though Tampa Bay is a very talented team right now, they have no answer for Colorado's speed and and Colorado looks like the fresher team, which they are. And I guess one thing maybe you could look at tonight, and maybe this is part of the reason behind the line move. Now you go back to hot and humid Tampa. You know, now you're not in the altitude. You're not in the elevation anymore where Colorado does have a built-in advantage. Does the change of venue and really the change of environment and atmosphere help the lightning in this game? Maybe that's why this line's moving a little bit. Maybe it's because they're, they're getting some positive reports on Braden Point. Awesome I don't to know. to bring him up, yeah. But it, to me, I just – as you watch the first two games in this series, you really wonder what Tampa Bay can do to get back into it.
1: Well, yeah, Braden Point right now is a game-time decision. That's per John Cooper there. If he can't play – I mean – that's just – I don't know. It's not like it's a its a big blow to this Tampa Bay team because he's kind of like the point man, no pun intended there, for this Lightning team. But, I mean, my goodness, they're already facing an uphill battle. If he's not out there, this thing can really get just to where it's insurmountable for this Tampa Bay team.
3: Yeah, and look, I, I do think that to some degree in the first two games of the series, having to assimilate point back into the lineup has been a little bit of a challenge for Tampa Bay. Mm. It has kind of hurt their offensive flow a little bit but not as much as not being able to get out of their own zone. So, you know, not having a talented player like Braden Point hurts because it's pretty clear you have to outscore Colorado to beat them because it's very hard to hold them down. But with that being said, I do think that you could say that maybe working such an important player back into the equation at this stage of the game against this opponent – maybe it was a little bit more challenging than we gave it credit for.
1: Interesting, interesting note there for Colorado because you mentioned having to go now to the more hot and humid Tampa Bay. The Avalanche are 7-0 on the road during the Stanley Cup playoffs, winning by an average margin of 2.3 goals per game. And this Avalanche team, and we saw it last year, there was a lot of buzz about this team. They were the favorites heading into the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, they lose to VGK here in Las Vegas, but – they almost feel to me that this is overdue. Like they're due a championship to maybe there's nothing that Tampa Bay can do because they look so good and the numbers back up how good they are. The betting market has loved this team all throughout the year to where I get concerned about this. Maybe even though it's a back against the wall spot here for Colorado and that's baked into the market here that maybe Colorado or, or Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, is just not the side. Maybe it's Colorado there at even money or at any sort of plus price that you can find because, Sometimes the other team is just better. And, and I think you just have to tip your cap. And if, you're, if you can't counter any of that stuff, um, you're just going to be in trouble. Now, the first period market over at BetMGM to me, I think, is interesting because this could be a popular bet for a lot of folks who are maybe taking the lightning there in the first period, seeing that maybe they come out with their hair on fire with the situation being 0 2. Would you look at any of the totals there in the first period right now? I mean, under one and a half is minus 110. The spread, if you like lightning minus a half, that's plus 170. Or on the money line, you get minus 115 each way
3: I think we could have a little bit higher scoring of a first period in this game because as you said I mean Tampa Bay really has to make a significant push here if they go down Mm -hmm. 3-0 this series is over yeah this series might be over anyway but if they go down 3-0 You know, I mean, Colorado had one four-game losing streak during the regular season. It was in the final two weeks of the year where they didn't really care too much. They were just kind of gearing up for the playoffs. They lost six of their last seven actually going into the postseason. That was their only four-game losing streak of the year. So Tampa Bay has to come out as fast as they possibly can in the first period here. They have to play from in front because you can't come from behind against Colorado because they just keep coming in waves, as you said. They just keep scoring. I think one other thing just generally speaking about this series – I think there was also this sentiment that Tampa Bay not only being battle tested from winning back-to-back cups, mm-hmm. but also they beat Toronto, Florida, and then, you know, had that long series uh, in the conference final as well. Whereas for Colorado, Nashville, St. Louis, Minnesota was better than St. Louis, but St. Yeah. Louis won that series. And then Edmonton was a deeply flawed defensive team, especially in net. So I think there was a kind of this sentiment of, well, Tampa Bay beaten all these really good teams and, you know, all of this you know, Colorado hasn't played anybody really in the postseason. Well, you know, I mean, Colorado did what they were supposed to do against those teams, and now we're seeing how good the Avalanche actually are.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, maybe Tampa Bay would have struggled with some of those teams like Edmonton and all those uh, that Colorado was able to dispose of. Uh, real quick on the cons, my trophy right now, the favorite, Kale McCarr, minus 200. So uh, we talked about this over the weekend. He was about minus 150, minus 160. It's like, hey, is this a way that you could possibly bet on Colorado to win the series without having to lay that minus 650 price there? But now that price is starting to get away here. Kale McCarr has been fantastic for the Avs, and he is pulled away now as the odds-on favorite to win the cons, my trophy. On the the other side, Dennis Bernstein of Sirius XM NHL will help us break down this series talking about the Lightning and the Avs. Game three tonight.
5: This is The Edge on vSEN, the sports betting network.
1: Put some cash in your pockets with the Wrangler Hoops Draft Challenge. Make your picks on where the future stars will land at DraftKings.com Wrangler and compete for your share of $10,000 in prizes. Wrangler, for the ride of life, terms and conditions, and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back. This is The Edge coming to you from the VEASAN studios here at the South Point Hotel and Casino. Last segment, we're talking a little Stanley Cup final game three coming up tonight. And to help us preview that game, we bring in Dennis Bernstein of Sirius XM NHL. Dennis, we appreciate you joining us here this afternoon. I know you're in Tampa Bay. Um, What is the overall feel right now? Is there a nervous energy in town ahead of tonight's game three?
7: Well, other than feeling like 103 degrees, yes, there's a lot of nervous energy because this is game seven for Tampa Bay. Let's not kid ourselves. I might say game three on people's tickets tonight. If they don't win this game, there's no chance they can beat the Colorado Avalanche in four straight. So this has to be their all in game. The best players have to play better. To be frank, they couldn't play any worse than game two. So to me, I expect a bounce-back effort, maybe not necessarily a win, but certainly a far better Tampa Bay team at home. They've won eight in a row here in the playoffs. Uh, There's some nervous energy, but I think it's more nervous than energy here in Tampa tonight.
3: Dennis, as you mentioned, back home, they're going to have a supportive crowd. They've won eight in a row at home, but they've had a lot of issues adjusting to Colorado's speed here so far in this series. Do you feel like being at home and having the last line change could be the X factor for Tampa Bay tonight?
7: I don't think it's going to help them with the speed. It may help them with matchups. What they have to do, though, they can't go and get another 16-shot effort on uh, Darcy Kemper like they did in game two. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. They need shot volume. We, they have to go back and find the identity that they had in the Rangers series, where there was net front presence, where they got a lot of shots on the goal. The problem is the Rangers made it to the conference final on the back of Igor Sisterkin. This is a very different Colorado Avalanche team, fellas. The, the the Rangers didn't have Kale McCall who probably would win the Conn Smythe if Avalanche win, and Bo Byron coming out of their own zone. So matchups might help, but when you're that deep and you're that fast and you're that good – I'm not sure, given just the convincing way they won game two, I don't know, given one day off, how much change John Cooper can affect to his team to, have, to get a victory tonight.
1: We're speaking with Dennis Bernstein of Sirius XM NHL. Uh, Dennis, if Braden Point is unable to play tonight, how would that affect the Bolts in this game three?
7: It's not going to help, right? I mean, that's going to be a tough loss for them because he plays the bumper position on the power play. And you got to figure if Tampa Bay is going to win tonight, they have to win the special teams. Uh, And Braden Point is a key contributor there. I think emotionally they would hurt the team. Look, they've won two Cups in a row. They'll certainly man up and try to win this game. And even John Cooper uh, wanted them and challenged them to man up. So to me, I, I think it would be a big loss. But again, even without Point, you need better from Stamkos. You need better from Kucherov. You certainly need better from Victor Hedman. I was shocked at how poorly he played on the blue line in game two. And he better for Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, it wasn't his fault. They lost seven, nothing. But there were a couple of stoppable shots, especially the the Josh Manson shot on the on uh, off uh, odd man rush. So to me, point missing will hurt. But just who's ever the best players out there tonight, they need far better than what they got from this team in Denver.
3: When you look at Colorado here in this series, they've outscored Tampa Bay 7-3 to three at 5-on-5. Five five. Six of those seven goals coming between the faceoff dots. So you talk about that net front presence, high percentage shots, all of that for Colorado. They've definitely had those. What What are the adjustments that Tampa Bay can make in the defensive zone to help Vasilevsky out some more?
7: Uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm searching, and I think a lot of people, a lot of our analysts that were there after game two, you're like, what was that? How do you change it? So I, I'm not sure how you do that. I think what you have to do is you have to try to win a high-scoring game. So you might want to play the over in this with respect to the goal totals mm. because I, I think you got to give it your best shot. I don't think they can defend that well. So they're going to have to win a game there. They're going to have to win a game where they're going to say to, to Andre Vasilevsky, okay, look – there's going to be a lot of odd man chances against you because we need to score more and we, we need to have uh, more net front presence, uh, just more presence in the offensive zone. This team couldn't complete two passes in game two. That's why it was so stunning and shocking and really no surprise when you watch the effort and you look up at the board to go, OK, that was really was a seven nothing game. So to me, I, I'm not sure they can win a defensive battle. I think they have to win an offensive battle and they just have to shoot more. They, I, I just am stunned because the strategy coming in before game one was, okay, you clearly between these two teams have an advantage in Tampa Bay in net. And they haven't taken advantage of that. Garcia Kemper, yeah, he had a tough you know, c- couple of periods in game one. But they haven't tested him hard. You need to go at this guy. You need to put 30, 35, 40 shots. They did that against the Rangers, but as, as I mentioned before, this is a very different animal. They're playing in the Colorado Avalanche, and that's going to be the big challenge. I, I think to win an offensive battle tonight. And if you're going to lose the game, go down swinging. Don't go mm-hmm. down 3-1 and try to make a defensive <laughs> game. Try to get the you know a 4-3, 5-4 game um, against a, a Colorado light, uh, Avalanche team.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. If this thing opens up here, the over could be the play. Uh, speaking of scoring more, Dennis, Nathan McKinnon on the Colorado side has yet to score in this yeah. series here. And I hate to use gamblers fallacy, but it almost feels like he's due right now at DraftKings. He's a plus plus one hundred and thirty anytime score. Do you think McKinnon finds the score sheet tonight?
7: I bet Nathan McKinnon every game, even though he hasn't scored. So, so yes, I think that's a really smart play. Yeah. I assume they're going to get a couple of power play opportunities. He opens up the ice. You know, he's he's so great. He's so dynamic. He lowers that shoulder. He comes into the offensive zone with speed. So he's going to find opportunities, and they're going to get opportunities. Uh, again, it goes back to they get de- offense from their defense, the breakouts by McCarr, the breakouts by Byram. What that does, it creates space in the in the uh, neutral zone, and it opens up odd man rush chances. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really sharp play to play Nathan McKinnon because – it's about time for Nathan, and I think as they get closer to winning a cup, I think he wants to be an influencer, so certainly he's going to try tonight. So maybe the shot total, you want to play the over, uh, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be too much averse to play him to score a goal tonight as well. So
3: I know you said that Tampa Bay needs more from Steven Stamkos. Frankly, they need more from most of the guys that are out there on the ice. Who do you think is that guy who steps up tonight? Maybe it is Stamkos, maybe it's somebody else, but who would you be looking for to, to kind of lead by example here for the Lightning tonight?
7: I like uh, Nikita Kucherov. Because remember, he was a you know consummate winner. He's the guy, and, and Stammer's got a great one-timer, but Kuch is the guy who sets up his other players. Like, I go back to the Rangers series, that great backhand pass in the last minute of the game to Andre Pallott. So And Pallott needs to be better as well. So I think Kucherov and Pilat, those were the two guys I would point to tonight. Because they had Pallott had a poor game, and Kucherov was invisible. Those are the two key guys. Because Stammer's going to get his shots off. If they get power plays, he's going to get his one-timers. He's got a good shot at scoring. It's Kucherov and Pilat that really makes that first line go. I want more from them if I'm a Tampa Bay fan tonight.
1: Dennis, you said that you think that the Lightning need to open this thing up here. The first period over right now over at Gym is minus one and a half. There, or Sorry, one and a half minus 125, the juice there for the first period over. Is that something mm. that you would look at? You think that the Lightning end up coming out with their hair on fire, backs against the wall down
7: 0-2? Yeah, you have to. I think, and I said this is a must-win situation. And you look at the first period, the first two games, the team that won – Got three goals in the first period. So to me, yes, I like the overs in this. Because it has to be, you're right, it has to be sense of urgency. You can't come out of your Tampa Bay and play passive and hope to win a 2-1 game. It's just not going to happen against Colorado Avalanche. They're just too good. So yeah, with the home crowd, they're at sea level and not at altitude. There's humidity here. Mm -hmm. Maybe all those factors combined. But I got to think the first 10 minutes is crucial for Tampa Bay. And because of that, I would like the over in the first period, yes.
3: Dennis, I don't, I don't, want to take this series for granted, but it, it does seem like it's going to be really, really challenging for Tampa Bay to win for the next five games against Colorado, especially with the way that things are going here so far. So thinking ahead a little bit where Colorado is a four to one favorite at DraftKings to win the Stanley cup next year. And if they play like this, it's hard to see anybody actually beating them. Toronto is the second choice at eight to one. This Tampa Bay lightning team, nine to one, Florida, 10 to one. Um, are there any teams that you're kind of looking at that aren't among the favorites for next season that you feel like you know have some things they can do in terms of the salary cap, can make okay. some trades, can draft intelligently, something like that? Are there any teams that you're looking at to really take a big step forward for next season?
7: Well, I think the team that was ahead of schedule were the Rangers, and they got... Mm-hmm. Uh, they got great experience losing to Tampa Bay. They have the goaltender. They have a great defenseman in Adam Fox. They have playmakers in Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad. I think that team, if they can get – and remember, they miss Sammy Blay, who's a third-line player, but he's a more physical presence. I think if they get a little bit more physical presence – and if Tampa you know, some, somehow gets worse next season, they'll lose Andre Palat probably to the free agency. That's the team that of the group that you mentioned that wasn't in that group – I really like the Rangers. I think Christopher did a great job at the deadline. Maybe they bring back Andrew Kopp. So to me, there's a lot and guys just want to play in new york it's a, it's it's a home mm-hmm. ice advantage you know m- money aside so to me that'd be the one team one thing with colorado being the favorite remember nots cottage is a free agent uh, andrew burkowski is a free agent it's gonna be tough to keep this group together and unlike tampa bay it's really hard to repeat in, this, in in the nhl winning the Stanley cup so i think the one team on the outside looking in at those group would be the new york rangers
1: dennis we got about 30 seconds left who wins tonight who wins the series and in how many games
7: I know everybody's saying bounce back Tampa Bay. I just saw too much of Colorado in game two. I like Colorado extended to three, nothing. Maybe Tampa gets uh, a game um, on Wednesday and we go to five, but I'll say Colorado in five. I don't think they're good enough right now to beat Colorado twice here in Tampa.
1: Colorado and five is the favored outcome over at BetMGM and at DraftKings plus two twenty five for the Avalanche to win this thing four one. He is Dennis Bernstein of SiriusXM NHL. Dennis, enjoy the time in hot and humid Tampa Bay, and we hope to talk soon.
7: <laughs> Always great being on Veasan. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it.
1: How about that, Adam? The over being the one and I like that's a good point that Dennis brought up they got to open things up here because I almost thought lightning to the under because that's how they have to play here but they got to get uncomfortable if they want to be able to pull off a win
3: yeah absolutely by the way Rangers 20 to 1 out there at DraftKings for next year's Stanley Cup championship
1: there you go the New York Rangers MSG the Mecca where it all goes down there I know that's a sore spot here on the show so we won't talk about that too much more Um, on the other side Adam's take on the MLB card today here in the bigs
2: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
4: This is the Edge on VSEN, the sports betting network.
1: This segment of the Edge is brought to you by Zen nicotine pouches. Are you tired of the same old same old when it comes to nicotine? Well, have you been looking, hoping, wishing for a more satisfying, discreet or smoke-free way to experience nicotine satisfaction? Just look for three letters. Z Y N Zyn Zin. nicotine pouches are a satisfying smoke-free, spit-free tobacco alternative, and they are available in ten varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zyn, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zyn. So head on over to zyn.com/find to locate a store near you. That's zyn.com/find. Warning: that This product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical. Welcome back. This is the final segment of The Edge. Femia Abebefe, Adam Burke filling in for JVT and humans hanging out here at the South Point. A little lively here on a Monday. I haven't been on a Monday uh, in a while. So uh, it's interesting to see the difference in crowds between the weekdays and the weekends. I
3: found a parking spot pretty pretty quickly, so I was kind of surprised with that. <laughs> yeah. Usually usually it's kind of tough to do, even
1: during the weekdays here. Uh, this place is always booming, though. It is, yeah. It's a shout out to the Gon family and everybody out there. It keeps this place with the foot traffic going, and it makes it fun for us to be here. Um, let's take a look at the Major League Baseball card, though, Adam. If you haven't already, make sure to check out Adam Burke's daily write-ups over on Uh for all the subscribers there. You get excellent nuggets, recaps of the day before, and also what to look for day of. And a game that I think is has a lot of people's attention, Adam, Adam, is this New York Yankees, the first place New York Yankees, who finally lost yesterday, taking on the Tampa Bay Rays there over at the Trop, over at DraftKings. The Yankees minus 140 with Garrett Cole on the mound. The Rays plus 120, the home dog Shane McClanahan is going for them. The total, of course, when you have those two aces sitting at six and a half with the juice toward the under at minus 115. What stands out to you in this AL East matchup? Yeah,
3: I appreciate the kind of words about the article. First, it is a little little bit of a long read, but there is a lot of information there. It is very, very detailed, to say the least.
1: Anything worthwhile takes a little bit of time. So make sure you read it, folks. Absolutely.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. As far as this game tonight, I mean, look, this may be kind of a square play, but I I took the under six and a half in this one at minus 110. I mean, when you look at these two guys, really, the only way they, they give up runs is via the home run. Garrett Cole's given up 27 runs, 18 via the long ball. Shane McClanahan's given up 21 runs, 16 via the home run. Wow. McClanahan is your AL Cy Young favorite out there right now at some shops, but. Both these guys have struck out over 30% of batters faced. McClanahan's actually over 35%. And the Yankees do strike out a fair amount against left-handed pitchers. So I guess it's a good matchup for McClanahan. It's a good matchup for Garrett Cole. Most matchups are good for Garrett Cole. But when you talk about two guys that really only allow runs via the long ball, Tropicana Field suppresses offense. It's a hard place to hit. I went ahead and took the under six and a half. I mean, the Yankees didn't use their two best relievers yesterday in Clay Holmes and Michael King, despite playing a close game against the Blue Jays. So both of those guys are available. All of Tampa Bay's top relief arms are available. I think this is a pitcher's duel. I think this game lives up to the billing. So I took the under six and a half here.
1: Is the under almost a way – I know the Yankees have won some low-scoring games, but is, is it almost a way to kind of fade the Yankees without having to actually step in front of that freight train that they are right now at 49-17? and 17? Yeah, and, you know, the
3: irony is I actually did the same thing with the Giants at Braves game under eight because the Braves have been playing so well here of late, and Max Freed is on the mound. And I mm-hmm. really like Logan Webb for the Giants, but I didn't want to go against Max Freed. It's a similar thing here where I don't want to go against either one of these guys. You don't make money fading Shane McClanahan or Garrett Cole. Yeah. You just don't do it so taking the under is a way to kind of back both of those guys maybe the Yankees do lose a two to one game they're 14 and five in one run games that should level off a little bit here they're also 12 and four in games where they've scored two or three runs the rest of the league is very very bad so the Yankees are winning some games in ways that may not continue but still it's very hard to bet against Garrett Cole even getting plus money on the Cy Young favorite on the other side
1: Yeah, fading the Yankees is a party that I'll gladly be late to. I'm not going to try to step in front of that too many times here. Maybe when we get into the dead summer months there, when Mm -hmm. the dog days start to kick in, they're looking ahead to the playoffs. Maybe that's kind of the time to do that. Um, Also, in the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals taking on the Milwaukee Brewers. They're the Brewers right now at home. Minus 170, the favorite Cardinals. Plus 145 total is at 7.5 juice to the over at minus 120.
3: Yeah, so this is a fascinating game, and we had a pretty big line move on the Brewers overnight and Corbin Burns, and I 100% agree with that move. Miles Michaelis, the starting pitcher for the Cardinals, came within one strike of throwing a no-hitter last time out. And I gave up a run, I think, in the third inning, but he still had a no-hitter intact going into the ninth. He threw 129 pitches in that game. This is the first time in Michaelis' MLB career that he's thrown at least eight innings in back-to-back starts. He's thrown 641 pitches in his last six starts. His two career highs in pitches thrown have come over his last four starts. His last start with 129 and then 115 four starts ago. This is a guy with a really, really big workload of late. He's a guy that missed three months last year due to injury. I'm watching him very closely. If he doesn't get rocked today, I expect it to come very, very soon, just because of wear and tear, just because of fatigue with him. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens today. I may be invested in the Brewers when all is said and done here for this one. That line kind of ran out a little bit on the overnights doing the run line and and all of that. But this is one where I don't like the way the Cardinals match up against Corbin Burns. I don't like the way they match up against above-average righties. But this would largely be a
1: fate of Michaelis, who that's a
3: big-time workload for a guy who's had some arm problems here
1: recently. Next thing I want to touch on is the Blue Jays and the White Sox. The White Sox are a team that really fascinate me because I've been waiting to see where the buy spot is on this team to win the AL Central, maybe even to win the American League pennant. There are a lot of talent on that roster. Now the manager Tony La Russa, you know, man, whatever you think about him, there still has a lot of talent on that roster, and they are hosting the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. White Sox, the dog plus one fifteen. The Blue Jays minus one thirty five road chalk. There total at nine juice to the over. I got very close to betting over nine in this game,
3: Lance Lynn, only making his second start, gave up four runs on 10 hits last time out. Didn't really get hit hard. He gave up a lot of singles. He was very upset with Joe McEwing, the third base coach who sets the defensive alignment for the white Sox. You mm-hmm. saw a clip of him basically berating him in the, in the dugout, which not a great look, obviously, but Good there's the team chemistry. There are a lot of issues with that white Sox team and specifically with the white Sox coaching staff, but You get Tim Anderson back tonight too, which I also like for the White Sox, but Jose Barrios for the Blue Jays is kind of adjusting on the fly here. He's throwing his curveball a lot more. The White Sox are awful against right-handed pitching. They've been very good against lefties. Barrios, unfortunately, is a righty, so that kind of took me off of this game, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if we saw a high-scoring game here because mm-hmm. you get a, a White Sox lineup that makes a ton of hard contact against a starting pitcher that allows a ton of hard contact. Lance Lynn is just not particularly sharp, throws a ton of fastballs, which I don't necessarily love, especially if your command's not there yet. So I was very close to the over nine in this one. Uh, but yeah, I'm, just, I'm worried about that White Sox offense because they just don't hit righties at all. White Sox are five back in the division.
1: Do you believe they can turn it around?
3: Yes. Not only do I believe they can turn it around. Uh, there's an article coming out. I'm sitting in, in Matt Humans' chair here today, <laughs> but uh, I think you are actually. But there's an article coming out in Point Spread Weekly where Humans asked me if I could bet any team using the odds down at Circa to win the World Series. Who would it be? My answer was the Chicago White Sox at 32 Ooh, to one. Okay. I think the, I don't think the Twins are this good. I'm very worried about the durability of their pitching staff going forward. And I love my Cleveland Guardians, but there are some things going on with them that just don't appear to be sustainable. I think the White Sox still ultimately win this division. They've got a good rotation. When healthy, they've got a good lineup. And when healthy, they've got a good bullpen. I wish they would have fired Tony Larusa, but that (laughs) team's talent can overcome Larusa. They just need to be healthy enough to do it. I still think they win that division. They have the worst remaining strength of schedule left. Their second-half schedule is exceptionally weak.
1: I still think they're the team to beat in the Central. Because they're around, like, plus 120, plus 115 to win the division there. But you think that they can also possibly live up to the expectations of maybe winning the pennant, possibly even challenging for a World Series? I think so. I mean, you know, just because we're probably
3: going to have four teams from the American League East in the playoffs. I think all three wildcard teams come from the East. They're going to spend all season beating each other up. You know, they're going to play a lot of high-pressure, high-stress games down the stretch, whereas mm-hmm. Chicago will have to against Minnesota, and they still play the Twins head-to-head 16 more times, which is where I think the division ends up being won because I think they match up pretty well. But to me, it's just one of those things where I'm going to get Chicago. If they win the division, I'm going to get them at home. Yep. They've got Giolito, Cease, They've got Kopak, who's pitching really, really well. Lance Lynn will be fine by then. Uh, as long as they're healthy, I think they're a live kind of team come playoff time. So I'm, I'm on the prowl looking around for a good White mm. Sox time to buy and also a good number to get.
1: Yeah, and I've been kicking it around all week long. I'm like, when is the time to get in on this White Sox team? I love that we are in lockstep. we got a little bit of time left. Real quick, Diamondbacks, Padres. I know you were interested in the line movement in this game. You Darvish on the mound for the Padres. They are minus 170 at home. D-backs plus 145, total sitting at seven.
3: Yeah, we we definitely saw some line movement in this game. We've seen this line come down largely 25 to 30 cents or so out there in the marketplace. That's probably a pretty accurate representation of what Manny Machado is worth to the line. Manny Mm -hmm. Machado sprained his ankle yesterday. Um, They'll probably do some follow-up testing and all that. But not only has he been their best offensive player, he's also an elite defensive player. So that's a monumentally large loss for the Padres for however long he's out and it's not a good offense to begin with he's been carrying that group so we also see a total of seven here which I think is also indicative of their offensive projection without
1: Machado in the lineup yeah no that's a uh, Manny Machado's playing at an MVP caliber level there mm-hmm. so uh, him not in the lineup is definitely a big deal right now at DraftKings to clean up that White Sox thing plus 125 to win the AL Central that they are the favorite, but still, that is a very, very juicy price from what they were to begin the season at minus two hundred. That does it for us today here on the Edge. Thank you to our guest Dennis Burdenstein of Sirius XM NHL for Adam Burke. I'm Femia Bebfe. Our entire crew at the South Point, wishing you all the best with the bets later on this evening. Coming up, my guys in the desert with Stormy Bonatoni on VCN, the Sports Betting Network from BBC Radio
5: Four.